You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. James chapter 4 is where we're going to be tonight, James chapter 4. And I'll just give you a a kind of a rundown of what we've talked about so far in James 4 before we stand and read. The readers in James chapter 4 are dealing with fights. They're dealing with Christian warfare. There is an open battle going on among the people of of, of whoever's reading this, it could be a local church, it could be a group of people in the same vicinity. What we do know is that they were close enough to be fighting. And sometimes, unfortunately, it can be that way in families that um, it seems like we fight more with the people we love the most, um, and we shouldn't be that way, but that's just the way it is. And so there's a fight going on, but sometimes we think that our fight begins with other people, but they're not our enemy. Our enemy, the first greatest enemy of each of us is the war within. They were giving in to the lusts and the pride and the desires of their hearts. They wanted their own way and they were losing that battle. And not only that, they were, they were losing the war above. They were, they were not submitting to God. The Bible says here in James 4 that he calls them adulterers and adulteresses. They were trying to be more like the world than like the Lord. And that, would, and that was basically cheating on the Lord. I, because he had given them everything that they were blessed with. And yet they were going back to somebody else. To the world's philosophy. So they were losing the war within. And they were losing the war above. And when that happens, you can't help but have wars without. It, it turns into fightings and wars and constant battles and, and James's readers had become assassins. They were seeking to destroy each other uh, with their words. And pride is that pollution of our, of our souls. It, it, if we don't manage our pride, it's a, it pollutes every relationship. It affects our marriages. It affects our families. It affects our church family. It affects our workplace. It affects everything. If you don't deal with your pride... If you don't manage the lusts and desires of your heart and you constantly try to get your way, um, it will pollute every relationship that you have. But what I love about James is he gives a solution to to the pollution and the solution to the pollution is submission. And that's what he gives us in in verses uh, uh, 6 through 10. Um, And I loved one preacher summed it up this way, and I'm going to read a verse and then give you the summary. Here is James' solution to pollution uh, being submission. In verse 6, he said, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. The first way to get through pride is to take a knee. In other words, submit yourself to God, wave a white flag, take a knee. The second one is to fight back, not with each other, but against the devil. He says in verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So take a knee, fight back. Number three, draw near. Verse 8, he said, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Number four, he says, clean up. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So you've got take a knee, fight back, draw near, clean up. Number, ver, number five, verse nine, get serious. He said, be afflicted and mourn not, I'm sorry, and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. And then finally in verse 10, he says, stay low. 
Humble yourselves, therefore, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. I love the summary of that. Take a knee, fight back, draw near, clean up, get serious, and stay low. If you want the process of submission to defeat the pollution of pride, then you must do those things. That's what James says. I just like the summary there and the difference that it makes. But then James turns his attention back to the effect of pride. And that's going to be our text tonight in verses 11 and 12. So let's stand and read those uh, verses 11 and 12. He goes back to another effect of pride. So in other words, he says, here's the solution to the pollution of pride. The solution is, is submission but just because you submit doesn't mean all the problems are over. Look at verse 11. Here's what he says. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou? That judges another. Tonight, the title is simply this. It's the danger of having a God complex. The danger of having a God complex, the most destructive effect of pride, is when it kicks God off the throne of our hearts and we replace him with ourselves. Here's why. We make terrible rulers. I mean, you may be a good leader, but you're a terrible king. And you may be a strong personality with good character, but you're not a great queen. In terms of ruling our own lives, we're terrible at it. God is in his rightful place when he sits on the throne of our hearts. And today I want to just look at the dangers of a God complex. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, so thankful for the truth today. Thank you for the music. And I thank you for uh, just allowing us to be here. I look around and just see a lot of people here that, that I love and, and just grateful for this church family. I pray that you'd help us tonight uh, to be in tune with your word and that we'd be willing. And some messages are not as exciting per se in terms of, um, oh, just really exciting and helpful and emotional. And, uh, but some messages could prevent a, a church implosion. And I believe this is one of those. God, would you help us uh, to, uh, to allow you to be the ruler of our hearts and allow that then to be revealed in the way that we speak to and about each other. And this is such a, a basic and yet such an important and vital thing to the success of a local church. God, we love you and we need you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm sure most of you have heard about the, uh, the Chinese uh, balloon that was discovered over... Um, over floating over the United States this week. And there's been all kinds of controversy about it. You know, should we shoot it down? Or should we shoot it down now? And what is it? You know, is it suspected, they say, a suspected spy balloon um, because it traversed military sites across the North America. And so the United States sent an F-22 fighter jet to take care of it just off the coast of South Carolina, which we're all, you know, that kind of makes you happy, you know, that we could take care of it like that. Um, but there was debate all a week about should we shoot it down and, and, and you know, when to shoot it down and it, it, wait to shoot it down until it's over the water or what do we do with it. But I'm glad we did. And the truth is there are some lines. It was a reminder this week that there are some lines that you shouldn't cross without expecting to deal with consequences. And I'm not, I'm not talking about right or wrong. I have no idea 
what their purpose was. I don't know what the United States government knows. I'm just saying there are some lines you shouldn't cross. I believe that the US, U.S. airspace is one of those lines. And he shouldn't cross that line unless you expect to deal with some consequences of crossing that line. And one of the lines then that James mentions in crossing here is into God's territory. There are times when, you know, there are some things we, we, we think, well, I would never cross that line. There's a fence there. It says no trespassing. I would never cross that and, and infringe on somebody's rights to their property. I, you know, there are some things that you and I would never do. Um, some of us would never park in a handicapped spot because it's reserved for somebody else. Some of us don't have a problem with that. Uh, there are some lines you don't cross. Um, one of those, though, is God's territory. The things that are reserved for God alone, it, it caused me to look into what it means to have a God complex. And I was just interested because I've heard that phrase before. If somebody has a God complex, what does it mean? I, it, it's, it's tied closely to this idea of narcissism, which some, I know some in here have done some study about. And it's when we assume that what we can do what we want without repercussions. That I can do whatever I want. I don't have to worry about somebody um, telling me to stop or, or getting on to me about it or that they can't do anything about it. I'm going to do what I want to do and you can't stop me. Here are some common signs that point to having a God complex. Uh, there's a sense of entitlement. That you view yourself as deserving a special treatment, earned or not. And isn't that a sign of our culture these days that you deserve, I deserve special treatment whether or not I've earned it. Uh, there's an idea of self-importance, assuming that you are unique and special, thus better than other people. And that's being fed into this generation. There's a lack of empathy. If you have a God complex, you have a lack of empathy, meaning that you are not able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and feel what they feel. It means that you have no concern for their problems or their burdens uh, because it's not you. A lack, it's a lack of empathy. Uh, somebody with a God complex engages in inconsiderate behavior and that you don't care how your actions affect or inconvenience somebody else. Somebody with a God complex uh, has a need for an, an, an intense need for praise and that they're continually looking for affirmation or they're needing attention for any act, no matter how small. I'm thankful that we have a lot of people at Eastside who don't have a constant need for praise. Um, because the truth is, there are times when praising somebody or, or acknowledging somebody is appropriate. But most of the acts that people in here do for God will never get publicly noticed or publicly mentioned from the pulpit. And you have to decide that it's enough for you that God sees it. And it's okay with you if nobody ever says anything about it. Uh, because It is a God complex or a sense of narcissism to think that every little thing that I do, I need to be rewarded for, I want to get a medal for it. Well, that's not the way life works. Uh, there's a, a, another uh, trait is that you take advantage of other people, that you don't have a conscience or gratitude about benefiting from other people. Uh, another one that there, this is a, a buzzword these days is gaslighting. And that you assume that your experience is the only valid opinion and you tear down anybody else when they have a differing opinion. So you gaslight by throwing your opinion out there and then tearing anybody else's opinion down because they have the audacity to differ with you. 
Another one is isolation, that you isolate from other people. You're so unconcerned about impacting others to the point that you withdraw. Another sign of God complex is that you have a string of unsuccessful relationships. When somebody fails at relationship after relationship and that becomes a pattern, it's a sign of narcissism. They're unwilling to compromise. They're unwilling to make things work with other people. Uh, if you refuse to take responsibility, that's another sign of a God complex in that it's always somebody else's fault. And what I, as I read these, you know, I was thinking it sounds like a toddler. I mean, really, all these traits sound like what you would expect from a two-year-old. Sense of entitlement, self-importance, a lack of empathy, inconsiderate behavior, I mean, intense need for praise, taking advantage of other people. I mean, this is, this is a nursery description by tonight isolating from other people when you don't get your way, having a string of unsuccessful relationships, refusing to take responsibility. You know, that's not a real positive list. And what we can say for sure is that's not the sign of a mature Christian. And unfortunately, I know that I'm guilty. And probably if we're all, if we're honest tonight, let's be honest that we're all guilty of one of these or the other at different times in our lives. And then we, we have a problem with these things because of one word, Pride. And the problem with the God complex is it puts you at the center of the universe and you have no consideration for others and no consideration for the glory of God either. And in many ways, those traits are right in line with what James is talking about here. He says pride pollutes everything and it makes you unbearable. It destroys your relationships. It grieves the Lord because it removes him from the throne of our hearts and it puts us in charge. And we, again, we make terrible kings and queens. And that's what James deals with in the remainder of this chapter. And it, he's talking about what happens when we live our lives assuming that we are God, the God of our lives. Now, we would never come out and say, I'm the God of my life. But we can live in such a way that we replace God on the throne of our lives. It's a line we shouldn't cross. In verses 11 and 12, James writes about wars without. And, and he starts with what is probably the most common feature. And what I believe is probably the trait that, 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 that will give away a God complex before any other. And when he writes in verse 11, he says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. And, and this, is, this is so basic. I mean, I feel like this should be a, a lesson for young people. But it's really a lesson for all people. And when he says speak not evil, what he literally it means speak against. Today what we might say, you might say to put somebody down. Um, it means slander, it means criticism, it means gossip, it means to belittle somebody. You might say it's bad-mouthing somebody. But notice his application though, it's not just in this application, it's not just uh, in general. He says speak not evil, and then he says one of another, brethren... See, he's talking about Christians. He's talking about spiritual family. And here's the thought, is if we share this same spiritual heritage, then we owe it to our brothers and sisters to speak kindly uh, one to another. If, if we share this same spiritual heritage, then we owe it to our brothers and sisters to speak kindly to one another. Let's evaluate how we speak tonight. Okay? I know it's not, this isn't a, it's not a fun message. But it's a message we need because, again, if we're going to prevent the, the implosion 
and ensure the continuance of Eastside Baptist Church as a light for God's kingdom, then we must protect ourselves against the things most likely to take us out. And I'm telling you, of all the things that could take us out, it's not going to be government oppression before it will be internal erosion. Let's evaluate how we speak. Do we criticize others when they're not present? Do we spread rumors or share information meant to present someone negatively? I mean, you say, you know, we could say, I love it in, in church sometimes, it's so ironic, we say, I have a prayer request. And I, what I've discovered is, you know, if you say bless their heart, then you can say anything you want about somebody. Do we make comment, comments meant to degrade, but we package it with a smile or a joke? Do we, do we share information that's not ours to share? I mean, you may not even be doing it to degrade somebody, but is it your information to share? Are, are we silent if we can't be kind? Uh, you know, this one, the, the phrase probably most of us heard when we were kids, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. We have different versions of that in our homes, but the idea is the same. Do we rejoice when others fail or fall into sin? Uh, do we feel compelled to lie in order to impress or, or make points? Do we exaggerate the faults or the weaknesses of others in order to make ourselves look better? Do we present truth to help or injure others? Let's be honest, we are all guilty of these things at some point or another. Our pride makes it natural to talk about others, uh, what, what they're wearing, how they treat each other, how bad their kids are behaving, how annoyed we are by them, how flaky they can be. No, here's a good life principle, is that you don't choose who your family is, but you do choose whether or not you treat them like Christ would treat them. You don't choose your parents. You don't choose your siblings. And some of you, you wish you could choose your siblings. You don't choose birth names and, or your extended family. And it's a, and, but in the same way, you don't get to choose the people that make up your church family. Now, I, I have to say this tonight, and I think it's important. You do, get a, you do get a choice with church family you're a part of. But if you ask me, that's a much too flippant decision for people these days. See, if God has you in a church, leaving it just because you don't feel something is a sign of our consumer culture. And there's a sense of entitlement, especially with young people these days that, listen, if you read 1 Corinthians 12, then you would understand that God puts people, he sets people in a body of believers. It's a big deal to him that he sovereignly decides and chooses that you're going to be a part of this church. And I refuse to believe that he's okay with casual departures from that church family simply because it doesn't cater to your every whim. And we've allowed the same mentality that affects the restaurants we choose um, to dictate the churches we choose. We, cheat, we treat church like a Yelp review, but it's not a small thing to God. And let me just say that to our younger generation, because it seems like they're the ones that will deal with this the most, life isn't always the way you like it. And I know you know that, but it's not going to be that way in church either. And it doesn't mean, though, that you just get to cut and run the first chance that you get if it's not a biblical reason. Be resilient and be resolved and trust that a sovereign God puts you in that church body and he can work things out for you. You know, we don't choose who's in our church family, but understand they're just as fallible as you are. 
And they make mistakes and they're imperfect and they're broken and they have bad moods and they don't feel like it some days. And there are going to be plenty of things to criticize. And if you want, you can find a lot of things to be unhappy with at a church. In this culture then also you have every platform that you desire to give a voice to your discontentment. Social media encourages us to have a voice when we're unhappy. Speak your truth. Yelp lets us criticize and give one star to the places that don't do things exactly like we like them. You can rate a church on Google or Facebook just like you would a coffee shop and plenty of people aren't very nice. You have a platform to be passive aggressive or aggressive aggressive. When you're not happy with a brother or sister, if you want, you can air the dirty laundry of Eastside Baptist Church all over Facebook if you really wanted to. And if we're not careful, culture has positioned us to be verbal assassins. And I'm placing, in the same category, I'm placing what you post online with what you say in person. Because for some reason there's a disconnect with our young people. Uh, they think that if I say it online, it's not the same as if I say it out loud. No, they are both revealers of your heart. Young people, understand, in the first time that you don't get a job because somebody goes back and reads some of your, your social media posts, you'll understand it does say something about you. So be very careful of assuming that what you put on the, on the internet doesn't reflect you. I mean, I mean, everything that you put out there is a reflection in some way or another. And we ought to be careful of that, especially as people, if we are claiming to be, you know, members of Eastside Baptist Church, and even bigger than that, Christians that are having a testimony, be careful of the things that you put out on, uh, online or on social media. I know it feels good to let off steam. I mean, we all sometimes just have to kind of let it out. We're encouraged to in our culture. But the Bible might have more to say about the sin of gossip and slander and evil speech than just about any other sin, if we're going to count. So while there may be a few things, few things more fun than a good roast, and I don't mean like Sunday afternoon roast, I mean roasting somebody, there are few things more condemned in Scripture. James essentially, he calls it a God complex, and he says this, you're acting as though you're God. And the problem is, and this is a big point, there's only one God and you're not him. There's only one God and you're not him. See, a God complex puts us in a precarious situation. And I just, in a simple message tonight, want to give you three ways, three dangerous results of a God complex. Number one, it violates God's law. Verse 11, he says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. See, here's the process. Uh, if you slander a brother or sister in Christ, um, then, then, or you slander a brother or sister in Christ. Let's just say it starts with that. But what's the greatest commandment? According to the Bible. Well, we looked in James 2. James 2 calls, call, says the royal law is the great commandment. And the royal law is this, love thy neighbor as thyself. So when we slander instead of love, we act as if God's word doesn't apply to us. Because slander is clearly not love. And, and we have examined. So what he's saying is, when you do this, then it's like you're examining God's law of love. And saying, it doesn't apply to me. So we put ourselves above the law. And there are a few things, I mean, more infuriating, right, than somebody in a position of authority or influence or power or wealth that says, I'm above the law and I can do what I want. 
I mean, I go back to 2020, which is a year all of us want to forget, okay? We go back to 2020, and I think about Nancy Pelosi getting her hair done in that hair salon during COVID. I think about her nephew, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, eating a posh meal with all of his rich friends. And at the same time, they're dispatching police to the beaches to arrest paddleboarders on a paddleboard out on the ocean all by themselves because there's a mask mandate and a quarantine. You know, you think about those kinds of things. And, and again, it's not about politics. It's not the reason I'm saying that. It's about the fact that somebody like that in a state where they're making the laws and trying to enforce them on their own citizens, they're above the law in their minds that the, the same mandates don't apply to them as apply to the normal uh, commoners in their own state. It's, there are a few things more infuriating than the, do you think, do you know who I am mentality? I'm going to use an example we're all guilty of probably on some level, and that's speeding. You're like, Pastor, I was with you. Why are you talking about, you know, Californians? But well, let's not meddle tonight. So let's say it's late at night and you're driving down Highway 11 right out here. And, and there's nobody else on the road. You've had a late night at work and you have to get up real early and go straight back to work the next morning. So it's, it's 55 right out here by the church and you're going 80. Oh, wow. Oh, come on, Bob. Don't, don't act all self-righteous. <laughs> so you're going 80. We've all, I mean, we've all gone over the speed limit, okay? So we're going over the speed limit. You're going 80. It's, in 50, it's at 55. Your justification is, well, there's nobody else around. It's late at night. I have to get up early in the morning, so I have to get home and get some sleep because I'm not going to wake up if I don't. So you're going 80 and you see the lights in your rearview mirror and you pull, get pulled over. The policeman comes up to your door um, and, and he says, do you know how fast you were going? He says, yes, sir, I was going 80. You say, okay. He said, why were you going so fast? Because number one, there's nobody out here. And besides, the roads are clear. And I just got off work really late, but I have to go right around, turn right around and go back to work in the morning and open the store again. So I have to get home and get some sleep. There's nobody else around. The roads are clear. I need sleep. That's why I'm going 80 miles an hour, officer. And he says, wow. <laughs> he says, I'm so sorry, sir. I, I wish I had known all of those reasons you know, you just need to get home and get some rest, you silly goose. <laughs> I mean, his response is not going to be that, okay? I mean, I don't know where silly goose came from. That's not in my notes. But <laughs> saying that's not going to work. Be saying the law doesn't apply to you doesn't mean it doesn't apply to you. You're still going to get a ticket. But listen, when we slander and when we criticize, when we are unkind, we are saying God's law doesn't apply to me. I am justified in saying these things about this person, but I'm sorry you're not. See, you're, you are guilty. The Bible says you are guilty of breaking God's law when we speak evil one of another. There are no innocent comments meant to, that criticize. If it's a criticism, if it's gossip, if it's slander, it's not innocent. Evil speaking makes you guilty. Another dangerous effect, so it breaks God's law. Another dangerous effect of the God complex is too, it usurps God's authority. 
It usurps God's authority in verse 12. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? So not only does evil speech cause me to break God's law by thinking I'm above the law, it also presumes that I then have the right to pronounce judgment on somebody else, which is only God's responsibility. Listen, there's only one lawgiver, and I believe that we all actively subscribe to that. There's only one God, and I'm not him. I mean, but, but, I mean I'm not saying that we always practice it, but we believe it. Yeah, we, God has all power. He has all authority. He is sovereign. He knows all thing, things. His word is the final statement on any matter. He created. He will judge. His plans win in the end every time. I'm thankful for that. And because of who he is, he decides what's right or wrong. And like I said Wednesday night, one of the reasons that we need worship is because it reminds us daily through God's word who God is and who I am. And that gap between the two of us is a good reminder that I, and it helps me live life the way I'm supposed to. Because if I constantly see the difference between me and God, then I stay humble. I don't get a sense. Isn't it amazing that creatures as limited as we are struggle with pride? I mean, compared to God... We're nothing. Another illustration is, you know, think about, let's just say that we have a basketball league at our church. And we start this basketball league and we split up and have, have different teams. And let's say that you're the best player on the best team. And you're, I mean, you're averaging, I don't know, six or seven points a game. I'm really tearing it up. In the end, you and your team win the church championship. It comes down to free throws, and James Konechny hits both free throws to win the game. He has a sense, you know, how to get those, that ball in the basket. Maybe, maybe you ought to be the ref, actually, James. Okay, so, <laughs> so your, your team wins the church championship, and you commit to Duke to play basketball even though they don't ask you to. But then one day somebody moves to Sioux Falls and joins our church. He's about 6'8". He was really good at basketball and his name's LeBron James. I mean, I'm thinking as the pastor he's worth a billion dollars and I'm thinking, dollars I'm thinking about tithe, you know. <laughs> Suddenly you're not the best player in the league anymore. And whatever pride you had before LeBron came is gone. Because you're no longer comparing yourself to all the other slow white guys with 10-inch verticals. <laughs> you're now comparing yourself to LeBron James. And compared to LeBron James, there's not much to be proud of when it comes to basketball. And I know that's silly. It illustrates, though, what we do when we slander others is that we somehow have a position of superiority in that moment that causes us to think that we are capable of judging other people. But we need to be reminded there's only one God, and I'm not him. Slander and gossip and criticism is more than just a weak moment. It is a replacing God on the throne of his rightful throne of his judgment. Only one can save and destroy, he says. Only one is qualified to judge because he knows all there is to know. Here's the truth. When you slander, you can't see the person's heart. You can't tell their motives. You can't possibly know every detail. So leave it to the only one who has that insight. There's only one, and his name is God. And he's the only one responsible for destruction. So for you and I to attempt to destroy somebody verbally is to step way over the line. 
It's a God complex. There's only room for one on the throne of our lives, and it's not you and me. One more reason that we ought to not have a God complex is this. It prevents God's work in our lives. So not only does it, does it break God's law and usurp God's authority, it prevents God's work in our lives. Uh, think again, again about verse 12. He says, there's one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? So you know what he's saying? He's saying you have your own weaknesses. He's saying you're guilty of your own shortcomings. You're a sinner too. So he's saying you can't be a proper judge until you fix yourself. And I want to look at a passage that we're all probably familiar with, but I want to bring it out tonight as we just kind of as the, the final illustration, Matthew chapter 7. Go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter 7. This is such an important and helpful point in a local church. And, and I'm, I'm going to use a, an object for an illustration here tonight. So while you're turning to Matthew 7... Matthew chapter 7. Let's read this. He says in verse, chapter 7, verse 1, this may be the most, one of the most quoted and also one of the most misapplied and misinterpreted verses in all of Scripture. He says in, in verse 1, Judge not that ye be not judged. He says, For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with, me, with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. So he says, if you judge others and you do it with a certain spirit, the same spirit you judge other people with is what you're going to be judged with. In many ways, it's the law of sowing and reaping. And part of his issue or with, with this passage right here, he's taking issue with the Pharisees in this text because the Pharisees, especially in chapter 6, they're talking about fasting, they're talking about prayer, and they're going around making themselves look much more righteous than they actually are. And part of the reason or part of the method for them looking more righteous than they really were was to go around and criticize other people for not being as righteous as they were appearing to be. And Jesus is saying that kind of spirit of judgment is not the kind of spirit that we're looking for as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so you think that you're more spiritual, so you're making them look worse so that you can look better. And he goes on to say in verse 3, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? He says, Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. So he's talking about this spirit of criticism when it comes to judging other people. And he's, he's comparing these, these two concepts. Now, I want to be careful to assume, we might be thinking, well, we're never supposed to judge. Well, no, be careful of assuming we're never supposed to judge others. Now, Jesus is saying, is, he says it's never right to judge others with a wrong spirit. But there are times when judgment must be made for somebody's own good. Now, it should be done by somebody with right motives, somebody who's spiritually mature, somebody who's not just out to attack or verbally assassinate, but somebody who truly wants the best for somebody else's life. The problem is we are often more tolerant of our own large sins, the beams in our eyes, than we are the small, tiny sins in somebody else's life. 
We often overlook the large sins in our lives and we focus on the small sins in somebody else's. And that's what Christ says when he uses the beam and the moat illustration. See, a moat is a speck. And, and I've got up here, I've got a toothpick. And, and this would be the concept. And really, if we we're going to make it accurate, then I'd probably break it even in half and say this is more like a speck. And the speck is something small in somebody else's life. And the beam, of course, is this two by four. And the picture is almost humorous because what Jesus Christ is saying is imagine somebody with a beam in their eye trying to move the, remove the speck from somebody else's eye. It's not going to work. And so, I mean, I just, just, to, just because I want to have an illustration, we're going to use an illustration. I haven't used the Wasson boys in a long time. So would, would you guys come up here real quick? Don't look so happy, Jonathan. <laughs> he loves the spotlight, you know. So just because he's had a, uh, Brother Jonathan has had a hand injury lately, then you have the speck in your eye. So you just come stand, just stand right up here and face that way. And um, Elijah, I'm going to have you have the beam in your eye. So what I want you to do is I want you to hold it up to one of your eyes with, with your, just hold it up to one of your eyes like it's standing on end, okay? So try to do that. Okay, all right, there you go. So then, now you hold the speck right up next to your eye. Please don't poke your eye out, okay? <laughs> so you, your family's had enough injuries lately. Just right up next to your eye, okay? Just right, just, yeah, like right up in there. Okay, you can close your eye if you need to, just... Get it way up in there. Is that as close as you can get it? Yeah, use your other hand, the good hand. Okay, there you go. All right. So what I want you to do is, while you're still holding the board, it's got to be right in front of your eye. Okay. So I want you, you have to keep the board where it is in front of your eye, but I want you to reach out without dropping the board. I want you to try to grab the speck out of his hand. So go try it. No, no, no. It's got to stay on your eye. Got to stay on your eye. You know, it's coming out of your eye, okay? There you go. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. You can do this. Cheer him on. I mean, he's doing good. Yeah, you can't let it touch the ground. It's got to stay in your eye. Yeah, you can do I mean, you can't. I don't think you can do it, but, but that's part of the fun. So keep trying. Now, without dropping the board, see if you can grab the speck. Okay, impressive. That was actually pretty impressive. Good job. Now, so tell me, was it easy or hard? Okay, and look at, it, look at his face. That's the indication of how hard that actually was. And it's humorous. You guys, thank you. You can be seated. It's humorous to think that if I have something that big sticking out of my eye, that I think I have the right to go to somebody with a speck in their eye and, and fix their problem. And, and we do that. And, and, and the point that Jesus Christ is making is that it's not so much that what they have in their eye doesn't need to be fixed because it does, but what he's saying is that your problem is so much bigger than theirs that you need to first get the beam out of your eye before you can help them get the moat out of theirs. And you, it's silly for us to think that I can do one of these and help somebody else 
And see, that's what we do. And this beam represents a critical spirit. It represents this spirit in us that says, um, you know, I'm critical or I'm gossiping or I'm slandering or I'm tearing somebody down because of what they've got in, our li- in their life. But what I'm doing in the moment of criticizing and slandering is a huge beam. And what they've got in their life is really a speck compared to the critical spirit that I have. But I want you to notice Jesus doesn't say never judge somebody. No, notice his purpose for removing the beam out of our eye. In verse 5 he says, Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, read it, and then thou shalt see clearly enough to cast the mote out of thy brother's eye. So Jesus' point is not never judge No, Jesus' point is this, that if he's your brother, he's going to need somebody at times to help him remove the speck out of his eye. But if you have a critical spirit and you're slandering and you're gossiping and you're speaking evil, then you can't help your brother get rid of the things that he needs to fix in his life and he's just going to move on, keep on going in life with nobody to help him fix his problems. See, the point that Jesus is making is not that we shouldn't judge. There are times where we're supposed to help each other. And he's, that's what family does. That's what a church is for. We're supposed to be a help to each other. But Jesus, what he says, though, and what James is saying is we can't help each other first until we, we can't help each other unless we first examine ourselves. And James said it this way, who are you? He said, you're not perfect yourself. We should help each other. We should help our brothers and sisters, not tear them down. And sometimes it takes examination. Not slander, not gossip, not criticism, helpful judgment. But if we can't stop talking about each other, then God can't help us and he can't help them through us. Because we have a beam, nobody's getting help, and thus we're limiting the work of God. When we slander and criticize, we are putting an end to the work that God wants to do in our lives because we have a big critical spirit we're not fixing and our critical spirit isn't allowing us to fix the speck in our brother's eye. See, a God complex removes him from the situation and it puts you there. And guess what? You cannot do what God does. I am incapable of dealing with sin in somebody's heart. But if we can't control our tongues... We are putting an end to the work that God wants to do in our hearts. We all lose. Here's the issue in a nutshell. The reason we attack each other is because we've removed God from his place on the throne of our hearts. When we hate, we're not respecting God's law of love. And when we tear each other down, we're acting as if we know better than God. And when we use harsh words, we're preventing God from doing what, what he, only he can do in our lives and not in the lives of others. A God complex has been our problem from the beginning. What did Satan tell Eve in the garden? Don't eat fruit. But what did, what did, he, what did he say it could be the effect? He said, if you, no, Satan didn't tell Eve, to, he said eat the fruit. But what did he say um, will be the effect if you do eat the fruit? He said your eyes are going to be open. And you're going to be like God's. See, he said, your eyes can be open and you can be like God. And, and we think, well, I would never have a God complex. Well, we all have a God complex. We've had one from the very beginning. We have thought from the very beginning that we can rule our lives better than God can. And listen, anytime there is conflict among God's people, 
You know what's, what question really needs to be asked? It's this, who's trying to be God today? Who is it that's trying to be God? It's only when we try to be God that we resort to evil speaking. We have all kinds of excuses. We, you know, we might say, I said it, but I didn't really mean it. Yeah. Well, no, you were playing God. I mean, that's what James says is happening. We're replacing the law. We're above the law. We are acting in God's stead. Uh, you say, well, I was just tired. I wasn't really thinking. Well, if you said it, you were playing God. You say, well, but think about what they did first. Well, that's God's department. Uh, you say, well, but what I said was true. Well, maybe it was, but was it your right to say it? Right. And not only that, that's God's business. And besides, how do you know what you said was true? Do you honestly have every detail? There's only one that has every detail. His name is God. Let him take care of it. Yes. Someone had to say it, we say. Somebody had to say it. Well, only one has the right to judge. Right. See, there are times when truth has to be said. And if that happens, do it the right way. In other words, deal with your own beam first. Don't do it in a critical or slandering or gossiping way. Number two, get counsel before you do deal with it. Like, don't just charge in with that beam in your eye. I mean, you're going to knock everybody in the head, you know? Um, three, desire to help, not assassinate. So again, deal with your own sin first. Get counsel before you do deal with it. Number three, desire to help, not assassinate. We oftentimes say our motive is help, but really our motive is assassination. Four, use words that are true without attacking. Don't make it personal. You want to lose a friend real quick? If you're trying to deal with something in their life that needs to be dealt with, make it personal instead of just speaking the truth. Number five, pause and pray so that the Lord has an opportunity to direct your words. Too often we just jump in headlong and we say, well, it's got to be dealt with and somebody needs to speak the truth with love or maybe not with love. Somebody needs to speak the truth. But if you, if you will stop and give God the opportunity to direct your words, you're much more likely to do it with love. In other words, though, let God be God. If you were in the habit of speaking evil towards someone else without the motive of help or restoration, it's a, not a moment of weakness. It's a God complex. It's a breaking of God's law. It's a replacing of God in his rightful role. And it prevents God from working in our lives like he wants to. Those are, those are three disastrous effects of having a God complex. And based on what James says, a God complex never produces something helpful. Never. Listen, there's one God and you're not him. But when we speak evil of others, we are playing God. And we're not capable of that. So how's your speech toward others? How's your speech about others? If it's destructive, you just might have a God complex. And I just want to say it one more time so it gets in our head. There's only one God and you're not him. When we play God, boy, we destroy the fabric of unity that the Lord wants Eastside Baptist Church to have. It's not just true in our church, it's true in our homes. It's true in our workplaces. It's true everywhere we go. If we, with pride, think that we can handle things like God does, then we are putting ourselves in a position of destruction. Because he said in James, there's only one that saves and there's one that destroys. Let him do his job. He doesn't need me to step in and help him fix what he's got going. 
You know, we, we must be careful of having a God complex because there probably isn't something that would destroy us internally faster than a bunch of people who think they can rule their lives without God's help. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed as we seek the Lord in the invitation here tonight. Listen, we're all guilty on some level of our speech regarding others. And a response tonight doesn't just tell the world, hey, I'm, you know, I'm a gossiper, I'm a slanderer. No, but you are capable of it. All of us are capable of it. And if we're going to protect the future of Eastside Baptist Church, we must protect our, ourselves from a God complex. Assuming that we are the rightful judges, assuming it doesn't apply to us, assuming I'm the exception, I'm the one not breaking the law, and, and then in doing so, we prevent God from working in our church like he wants to. Let's not be the reason that God can't work in us like he wants to. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.